Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. We'll be in 1 Timothy chapter number 3, and we'll end out this passage 14, 15, and 16 this morning. We come here, and Paul has written to Timothy in these first few verses, and he's He's given a lot of different detail. He's given a lot of different teachings to, uh, to Timothy as to, to how certain things should take place and what should be happening. And he's given him, he's given him lessons or he's given him teachings on, on the false teachings. He's given him things on false doctrines. He's, he's written him in regards to how to pray and how to pray evangelistically. He told him things of how... Uh, what the manner of the or the role of a woman ought to be inside the inside the church, or the qualifications of an elder, qualifications of a deacon. And we come to the end of chapter three, and Paul really begins as we're three chapters in, but he says this in chapter three and verse fourteen: "These things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly." He says, I'm writing all these things. Here is why I'm writing this. Here is here's what it is. I'm hoping, I'm praying, Lord willing, I'll be there. But if I don't get there in time, I've given you all of these things that you should be able to handle. You should be able to do this within the church. Paul is basically saying this. He's given this letter to Timothy and he's saying, Timothy... Hey, I've given you, I've given you some core doctrines. I've given you some some sound teachings. I've given you all of these things, and here's kind of here's the picture of what the church should look like. Here's some of the teachings that that need to be taught, and here's some of these things. I've I've grown up playing sports my whole life, and some of you probably don't like my sports stories, but I've played sports my whole life. In sports, we would call this fundamentals. We would call them fundamentals. In baseball, there was some core fundamentals. In basketball, there's core fundamentals. There's foundational, fundamental things that when you start playing ball, at whatever level you start playing ball, you should be taught some fundamental things. Paul has given to Timothy some core fundamental truths that should be taught and should be within the church. And he says, if I'm not able to come back to you, here are some things that you can continue to do. And he gives them those things that we've already kind of discussed. If you're a sports fan at all, you know the name of Vince Lombardi, a great uh, Green Bay Packers fan. But one day he walked into his office, or not into the office, but he walked into the locker room, and you've probably heard this story, and I'm not going too far into the story, but he, he basically holds up a football, and he stands in front of the men, and he says, Men... This is a football. You might go, that's dumb. These are professional athletes. Of course they would know what a football is. My assumption is that the Green Bay Packers and the players were not doing some of the things that they were doing. And I've coached baseball, and I've done a number of things in coaching. And there's been times where I've just said, hey, this is called the game of baseball. These are some things that we need to get back to. Paul has given those things to Timothy and he said, hey, this is what the church ought to look like. This is what the church should be. And as he continues to go on in this passage here, 
he says a few other things, but he says more importantly, or he goes into verse 15, but if I tarry long, if I can't be there, he says this, that thou or that you know how to behave. And he says these two things. He says, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. He says, I've given you these things and you should know how to behave in the house of God and in the church of the living God. And this morning, as we continue, as we get into this, this sermon this morning, as I go through some of this, uh, the introduction here, something that is so powerful that maybe we look at and we almost go, well, that's just kind of common sense. But if we don't grasp a hold of it, It may be common sense, but I think sometimes we fail to remember a couple things. He makes reference in the house of God. Now, we could look at this in a couple different ways. We could look at this as the building that we are in today being the house of God. But here's what he's speaking of. He's speaking of the house of God being you and I, the family of God. Something that was, is, with, is within our core values at Oasis Baptist Church that we are to be a family. And we strive and we will continue to strive that this becomes a church family. This is a place where we love each other, we encourage each other, we have each other's backs, we care, we, we do all of those things. It is a family. But he says there that, that we would be a family of believers coming together in the building, conducting ourselves accordingly. And he continues to go on, he says, the church of the living God. I don't think that we don't get this. I just don't think that we really get it. I hope that made sense. Because I think most of us would say, well, yes, this is not our church. We understand that God builds a church. We understand that God is the foundation. We understand all those things. This is not my church because I'm the pastor of Oasis Baptist Church. This is not your church because you are a member of Oasis Baptist Church and you have voting power to do and say whatever it is that you want to do and say. This is God's church. The God, it says the living God. This is His church. This is His work. We are simply here to be stewards of what God has given us and we're to do the best that we can with it. But He says that in Acts, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, He says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And he goes on, he says, to feed the church of God. And then he says this, which he hath purchased with his own blood. This is not ours. This is not our church. This is God's church, the church of the living God. The term living God isn't new either. And I'm going to fly through these verses here, but... In Joshua chapter number 3 and verse 10, uh, he says this, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you. David was a little bit upset. He was a little bit angry uh, when he comes to 1 Samuel 17. And he says, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who does this guy think that he is that he can come in here and say the things that he's saying? This is... God. He's the God. He's the living God. He goes on in in Psalms 42, which should be a prayer of all of our heart. My my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. 
Jeremiah 10 and verse 10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. We are empowered, we are mandated to conduct ourselves in such a manner. We are to grow in knowledge and we are to to recognize who we are and where we ought to be and that we are a part of the church of the living God. We don't serve. Here's what this is. It should be something that we can kind of, we just sang about how great our God is. We don't serve a dead God. We had Easter a number of months back, but our God is alive. He's no longer in a tomb. But sometimes we, we like to think that this is our thing. And we, we do our own little thing within that. But this is God's church. This isn't my church. I have to remind myself often, Aaron, you be faithful and let God do what God's going to do. Because there's many times I sit and I'm frustrated. There's times that I sit and I get discouraged because I think that we should be here and we're not yet there yet. And sometimes I have to go, okay, stop. Continue to grow, continue to do the best that you can in being faithful, and let God do what God's going to do. Today we're going to look at a few different things in this passage of Scripture. For the next few moments that, that is His church, but that we look at these things and we are to conduct ourselves in a specific manner. And this morning I believe that this passage of Scripture gives us some things that we can do and that we need to be reminded of that point us directly back to Him and His church. And so in 1 Timothy chapter number 3, if you're not already there, I'm going to read a couple verses. We'll pray and get into the points this morning. And I promise you, to the best of my ability, you're already laughing. Timmy Huggins, stop. You'll be out of here early. Everyone's laughing. These things in verse 14 write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, Believed on in the world, received up into glory. Father God, as I read this passage of scripture, I can't help but think the gospel is wrapped right here. God, we are to be as a church the pillar of the truth of your word. God, we are to proclaim and to preach and to teach your word. Father, because why? It says it right in here. Lord, you were manifest in the flesh, you were justified in the spirit. Father, I pray this morning, I pray that our hearts will be opened. Lord, as you've convicted me this week in different areas of my life, really over the last few weeks, God, I pray that our church would be convicted. God, I pray that we would recognize the need that this is your church and you've given us a job to do and that we would go and we would do it to the best of our abilities. Father, I pray today that you would speak and not me. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. The first point this morning is, I've got two words, which is two points, and then I've got 25 subpoints underneath of all of them. No, I'm just kidding. 
But I have two points this morning. One is mission. In verse number 15, it says, the pillar and ground of the truth. We've already kind of discussed that this isn't our church in the introduction. And, and I believe that it's vital. And as we, as we look and understand that this isn't ours, but we are just simply doing and managing what God has given to us. That we are here to be the salt and light. That we are here because we have a job and we have a task to do. But this isn't our thing. However, there are things that we are to be doing while we are here inside of his church. Again, what did I title this? A call to the church. This is a call to you and to me. Not specific anymore to a deacon, to an elder, to a woman in the call or the role of a woman. None of those. This is to you and I, the body, the church of Christ. So as we look at this this morning, he says... In 15, but if I tarry long, if I, if I don't get there, if it's, if it's been a while, know that, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And then it says this, the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. I happened to be doing my devotions this morning. And I was reading in Acts chapter 19, and you don't have to go there, but in Acts chapter 19, it speaks specifically of exactly some of what we're talking about. In verse number 34, I believe it is, it says this, and and, and you'll understand it here in a second. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And you say, what does that have to do with anything? Here's where I'm going. We are standing, we're not there, but we're sitting in a time in, in Philippi, or bleh, in First Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing. And he's writing to Timothy, and he says this, the pillar and ground of our truth. You go, well, what does that have to do with Diana? See, Paul knew exactly where he was. Paul knew exactly the history that was going on. Paul knew the buildings that were being built. Paul knew Everything that was going on in that time and the greatness and the, the mad, majestic, really, of, of the buildings that were taking place in that day and age. And it, right where Paul was, or right where Timothy was, there was a building that had over 127 pillars. This was a building that was a temple to the goddess Diana. 127 pillars. Each and every one of them were marble. Many of them would have had studs and different things uh, layered in gold and had, they were just beautiful. Paul knew exactly what he was saying. And he says, the pillar and the ground of our truth. See, this temple, each one of those studs or each one of those pillars represented and it was a gift from a king from around the world and they represented that king but they were ultimately doing what they were they were majestic to this temple or this this goddess diana let me say this though as we continue in and we'll make sense of this what good is a pillar what does a pillar do It holds the building up. It's going to hold the roof from falling upon someone's head. Listen, it didn't matter. It would not matter if those pillars were the most beautiful things in all of the earth that anybody has ever seen if they did not hold the roof up. 
It would not matter. They had one job and one task. Though they looked gorgeous and they were perfect and they were great, they looked great, but if they didn't hold the building up, it's really worthless. Listen, what is our job as a church? The mission, it says here, the pillar and ground of the truth. Listen, if we as a church are not upholding the truth of God's word, it is worthless. It's worthless. Because the job, the role of a church, we are to be the pillar and ground for truth. We are to uphold the truth of God's word. We are to do all that we can to teach God's word and to, to show forth God's word and to do all these things. We are to uphold. We are to be that pillar upholding the truth of God's word. What is that truth? Well, it's divine revelation that God is, or that the truth being the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That he came to die for the sin of all mankind. It is the responsibility of every church to be immovable, unshakable, and upholding the truth of God's word. Let me say this. We spoke on it just a second ago. The church is not this building. The church is not the building that we are building out just a mile or so from here. The church is you. Upholding of the truth. Yes, it starts with me as the pastor. But you and I are the ones that are to uphold the truth of God's word. I need to teach from this and this alone. This must be the foundation of everything that we do at Oasis Baptist Church. And we cannot be unshakable. We cannot be, uh, we can't be just kind of, uh, well, this is, this is, we, we can't be wishy-washy in what this is. But it's not just me. It's not just Sunday school teachers who are teaching our children. It's not those that are leading small groups. It's each and every one of us that sit in this room. So let me just give you just a few things this morning. If this is, if we are a part of the body of Christ and we are this and it is our duty to uphold the truth of God's word. If I am to be a pillar of God's word and each and every one of you as individuals are to be the pillars of upholding the truth of God's word, then here's a few things that we must do. One, we must believe it. We can't uphold the truth if we don't wholeheartedly believe the truth. Let me just ask you this, and I'm pretty sure that I know the answer. Do you believe it? Let's go a little bit further. What are you doing about the belief that you have? There's people that believe what they believe so much so that there's no prayer in school, that abortion is now legal. They believe There's so much so that the people that believe in absolutely nothing believe that you should not be able to say the word of God. You know what they've done? They've believed it and they've acted upon it. You know what we often do? We believe it and we say we believe it. And we pack churches and we'll scream out, great is thy faithfulness. Or we'll scream out all of the songs, how great is our God. And we'll scream them out and we'll, we'll raise our hands. And then we walk outside of the doors of our church 
that was a great service. And that's it. We say we believe it. We don't act as if we believe it. Believe it. Memorize it. Psalm 119, 111. Most everybody in this room could quote this verse. But thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Hey, if I'm to uphold the truth of God's word, I need to know God's word. I need to memorize God's word. I need to meditate on it. Joshua 1 and verse 8 says to meditate on it day and night. Something that I have more firmly believed in my life in the last probably uh, three to six months for me personally. Is that the, when I get into God's word early in the morning. And I try to take a nugget of some sort out of God's word to meditate throughout my day. This morning I was in Genesis chapters 19 and 20 in part of my reading this morning. And I took out of that uh, a nugget. I quoted it. I put something on Facebook about it. I try almost every day. I put some type of a thought of a verse that I read in the morning. It's something for me. Hopefully it's encouragement to you. But it's something that I can meditate and think on throughout my day. But meditate on God's word. Study it. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. And then it says what? As you go through that passage, it says rightly divide the word of truth. Man, I'm to study God's word. Hey, if I believe it, I should memorize it. I should meditate on it. I should study it. And then I should obey it. What good is the word of God if we just simply hear it but do nothing with it? What good is coming to church if you hear it and you do nothing with it when we leave? It's an encouragement for the day. Somebody gave a good word. That's not what this is for. I want to encourage you and I want to do all those things, but it should be a challenge to you to act. Why do we give an invitation so that we can respond back to God? And I don't say that because I need this whole altar full this morning. But that's what an invitation is, that I can respond to God. God, you tug my heart here, and I'm going to be challenged. This week, I met with Nathan Knapp, and as I stood in front of him, we sat down. I said, Nathan, next week when we meet again, as we kind of are doing some mentorship and things, I said, I need you to ask me these three things, because I want to be better and more obedient in my walk with God. We need to obey it. I'm not saying that because I'm perfect. I'm saying that because I'm not doing it right, and I want him to hold me accountable to it. Why? Because as I was reading, I was very convicted. We need to obey it. We need to defend it. Philippians 1.17, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Can I defend it? That's not me being ugly. That's not me being nasty and trying to get into an argument on Facebook and all that garbage. No, I should be able to stand firm and be able to defend why I stand firm and what I'm standing firm on. Did you get to stand firm on all that? I should be able to do those things. I should live it. Titus 2.10 says to adorn the doctrine, to live, to put it on, to clothe ourselves. And then lastly, this morning, I should proclaim it. Listen, if, if I look at this passage and if, if, if my job, if as a believer, it's, it's that I am to be a pillar and the ground of the truth. If that is what God has put me here to do, and that's part of what our church is to do, and that individually, that speaks to all of us as individuals, if that is it, then I better be doing some things. 
Because here's the reality. If I truly believe it and I'm memorizing it and meditating and studying and obeying and I'm doing all those things, out of the outflow of all of that, I'm going to naturally say something about it. Because it's natural. Do you know what I bet? I bet this morning you can tell there's something different in me preaching because I have a little bit more conviction in my sermon this week. Do you know what that means? Out of the outflow, I'm screaming more than I normally do. No, but here's the reality for any of us. When it's hit home, when we are just passionate about it because we are so engrossed in God's word or so engrossed in what God is doing, we naturally want to scream it. We naturally want to proclaim it. We have to proclaim God's word. If I believe it, then what am I doing with it? What will be, what will I be proclaiming? And I'm so glad that you asked because we're going to get into that. The second point is message. And this is my last point. You're like, what? It's only 25 after 11. But the message If we were to go to Luke chapter 24 and 46 and 47, it'll be on the screen and I'm going to read this. And then we'll jump right back into 16 here. It says this, and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That passage of scripture became the theme of all the preaching that would take place in Acts. Excuse me. The theme of what was taking place in Acts. And let me just say this. It should be the theme of all preaching that takes place in 2016 as well. We are to preach Christ and Christ crucified is what Paul says. In Acts chapter 10 in verses 37 through 43 it says this. That word I say ye know which was published throughout all Judea. And began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sin. Listen, what is the message that, that I'm going to share in just a moment here? What is the message that Paul had wrote back to Timothy? What is the message? It's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came, that he died, and three days later that he rose again. He was seen, and we see all of that in this passage. And again, Christ, or Paul said that we would preach Christ and him crucified. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 that, that I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Oh, that we would 
as a church, as a people, get to a place that it is just that that is on the forefront of our minds. Christ and Christ crucified. But here's our issue. Here's my issue. Far too often, I'm just a little bit too busy to be a part of the work of God. I'm a little bit too busy to have a full-fledged conversation with somebody of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm a little bit too uh, nervous to share my faith. It's just not my personality. And so because it's not my personality, surely I couldn't go outside of my little comfort zone and share Christ and Him crucified. I, I, this is a part, a huge part of my conviction over the last several weeks and months. I'm going to assume that one day when I stand before God, I'm going to say, God, God, I loved you. God, I did so much for you, and I'm so sorry, God, that you didn't give me a personality that was strong enough and bold enough to go and tell people about Jesus. And he's going to go, oh, Aaron, thank you. I, I understand. In a room like this, many of us are, many of you are like me. I went to a conference last week, and you know what? There was probably a quarter of the people, and maybe 50 people in this conference. Do you want to know where my tendency lied? I'm going to go hang out in the back, and I'm going to watch everybody else. And I'm good if I don't get to know any one of those people that were there. That's me. If I were to walk into this room and it was just a big gathering of people, I'm probably going to stand now. Now I'm the pastor. Everybody knows me and I don't get to do this in this room. But my personality would be that I'm going to stand back there. And I'll mingle with the two or three people that I know. I'm going to assume that God's not going to go, well, Aaron, I made you that way, so it's okay. It's okay that you didn't share the gospel enough. It's okay that when you talk to people that you didn't tell them the love of Jesus that he has for them. It's okay because I understand your personality is not that. I don't, I don't think that's where God's going to do. I've been so convicted personally. And I've shared it with some of you that are in this room. I've been so convicted personally. One, as a church, that we're not doing it more. But most importantly and more importantly, that I, as your pastor, am not doing it more. You know why? Because my personality just doesn't lend me to go speak to some random person at Walmart. My personality just doesn't lend me to walk over to my neighbor, Brian, and say, Hey, Brian, how are you doing? And have a conversation with him. Or to have a conversation with my neighbor, Al, who's across the street. It's just easier to talk about other stuff. God's word says... In 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That mystery was a sacred truth that was hidden and revealed to those who believe. And here is the mystery, or here is the message this morning as I am coming to a close. He says this. As you continue into this passage, I'm just taking out just little bullets here from this passage, pretty much verbatim. That God was manifested or manifest in the flesh. God was revealed in the flesh. God, here's, this is the message. 
This is the message. This is the hope. This is what you and I have. These next few things. This is all that we have. That God was revealed in the flesh. God sent his only son to be revealed in the flesh. Though he existed in the form of God, he emptied himself, taking upon the form of a servant. Jesus made the invisible God visible in the flesh. The next thing is it says here is that God was manifest in the flesh. He was, he was revealed in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was justified in the spirit or he was vindicated. He was, he was declared righteous. I think when I initially thought of that, I'm thinking, well, he came to declare us as righteous when we come and when we bow down. But Jesus himself was declared righteous. Why? Because when Jesus walked and talked and lived for his 33 and a half years or so on earth, he did it perfectly. And at the end of it, he went to a cross and he came down. He was put into a tomb. The stone was rolled away. And what happened? He was gone. He was risen from the dead. If Jesus Christ was not perfect, he would not have been declared righteous and been risen from the dead. He was Declared righteous. So that what? You and I could be one day declared righteous. My favorite, one of my favorite verses in scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was the God man. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was vindicated by his sinless life of obedience to God and by the testimony of the Holy Spirit who affirmed his righteousness by raising him from the dead. He was seen of angels is what it says next. From the time he was born, and before he was born, I should say, all the way through the end, he was seen and witnessed of angels. They were there at his birth announcing and pronouncing to Joseph and to the shepherds. They ministered him at, the temp- at his temptation and they strengthened him at, Ge- at the Garden of Gethsemane. They were involved and they rolled the stone away. They appeared to the women affirming, him, affirming them that Jesus had risen. There were angels present when Christ ascended. It says next, they were seen of angels and they were preached unto the, that he was preached unto the Gentiles. Again, that's where it comes back to you and I. It is our duty, it is our job to proclaim and to preach the name of Jesus Christ. Before he left and ascended, he told the disciples to go therefore and make disciples. Jesus is the Savior of the world and we are to proclaim it. It goes on and it says that, that people that many believed on in the world, many had believed and will continue to believe. In Acts 2, it says that thousands came to know him. And then, or, and then later on, it goes on, more thousands and more thousands came to know him. Millions and billions of people have come to know Jesus Christ. They have believed, they've accepted. What have they believed and they have accepted? They have believed that Jesus Christ was and he was revealed. They believed in, and they were justified in their own sin. And they believed all of what we're speaking, the gospel message of Jesus Christ this morning. And then it says he was received up in glory. Jesus was taken back to glory. He not only came in the flesh, lived a perfect life, and was justified, was seen of the angels, proclaimed to the angels, was believed of in the world, but was taken up in glory. This is the message that each and every one of us hold within our hearts if you know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. 
This is the message that ought to be proclaimed in who we are and what we are doing. And this morning as I wrap up, it is my prayer that it would be our desire. Church, I just said it just a few moments ago. One of my greatest convictions of late is not that we as a body of believers aren't going out on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or a Thursday night soul winning or any of those things, but that I as an individual am not doing enough to share Jesus Christ with people that are around me. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who are you praying for to come to know Jesus Christ? You say, well, I pray for for the sins of the world and I pray that all would come. No, who are you specifically? One, who are you praying for? One of the things that they taught us or we went through this last week at this uh, conference that I went through is it it put me in the middle and it said, and it had four circles around me and the the spheres of influence. In your sphere of influence, who are you praying that God would allow you to share Christ with? You say, well, well, I don't have any influence. Sure you do. Well, all my family is saved. Okay. What's outside of your doors? How about your neighbors? Well, I don't know my neighbor. Well, get to know them. Well, they shut the door before they even get out of the car. Don't let them. Hey, in October, I have a friend who's going to be coming to speak to us in October, and he's going to share about reaching your neighbors. And it is the most incredible story that I've probably ever heard of what this man is doing to reach his neighborhood for Christ. It is our job. Hey, and I'm, I'm, I'm not screaming at you because you as a church aren't doing anything, you individual aren't doing anything. No, this is 100% personal, me looking in the mirror, telling myself, dude, you better get on it. Nathan, Did I ask you? That was a specific question that he's going to ask me Thursday afternoon. Who did you share Christ with? Not I gave a track at the dinner table. No, that I had a one-on-one conversation and tried my best to share Christ with somebody. You want me to be real honest? You're going to go, you're the pastor. Sometimes I think I'm too open. That scares me that he's going to ask me that question on Thursday. Why? Because I'm either going to say, nope, I did nothing. Or I'm going to have to get out of my seat and go speak to somebody and say, hey, I have this most incredible thing ever. And I want to share with you something that, it, that it's, means the world to me. Because my little comfort zone would mean that I would say, hey, could you come to church with me? And then walk away. It's too hard to go to Brian next door and say, Brian. I just want to ask you something. Because you've been on my heart. And Brian has been on my heart. This morning I prayed for Brian and I prayed for Al across the street. But here's what I've been a part of for far too long. Is that we have a cute church. We give. We're excited about building a building. 
or finishing out a building. We got excited a, a, about a year and a half ago about giving money to, uh, to, to build a, a playground at an orphanage out in Guatemala and to send people to Guatemala. We're, we've got a little leaf over here that we're filling up to raise the 300000 to to pay cash for, for all of the build-out. And we're doing all of these things, and they're good, and they're, they're cute. It's what we ought to be doing. But it leaves, or it stops, when we walk out of these blue doors. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.